You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Um. Okay. And welcome back to Talking Nicks. I'm Tom Piccolo. We are recording this on Sunday. May 9th, after a, a hugely important win on the road versus the Los Angeles Clippers, it is Mother's Day. This is exciting stuff. I'm amped. And I'm joined today by my dear friend, Kenny Poon. Let's get to it. Let's talk Knicks. As promised, joined today by Kenny Poon. Kenny, how are you doing? How's your Mother's Day? How's your weekend been? Doing all right, Tom. Uh, I had a going away party for um, some coworkers of mine on Friday via the Zoom because we're still not ready to do that in-person thing. But um, I don't really drink anymore. Um, so that went pretty late because they're parents. So it started pretty late. So it went uh, past midnight, which is way past my bedtime. Um, I don't know if it was the alcohol or the, the lack of sleep, but Spent most of Saturday just sleeping, uh, but today we got into fun day. Whole family went back to, you know, the childhood home, had uh, a nice little brunch, hung out with the nephews, hung out with the siblings, and uh, had a good time. And I, I think you can see, I don't think any of the listeners will be able to unless uh, BBD decides to, to put this on Instagram, but you can see my pictures behind me of my childhood basketball games uh, from the one and only Nancy Knapp. Um, which is exciting. Those are some epic photos. Yeah, hopefully we can we can get some content out of those because, uh, I mean, I can feel the glory days just coming through the screen. Yeah, and I think that's something that we, like, had no idea how cool it was at the time. But, like, so one of, the, one of our friends from high school, um, his mom just took pictures as, like, a hobby. And so she took pictures of us at sporting events. So we have a bunch of, like, great action shots of us uh, playing high school basketball, high school. I have some from high school across time. I'm sure has some from, from football. Uh, but then after we graduated, she went on and became like an actual photographer and she, she was a photographer in the NFL. I don't know if she still does it, but it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. She was like the team photographer for the New York giants. It was just, it's pretty crazy. We have professional quality photos of our high school exploits, but we, we definitely took that for granted. Like that was a normal thing. And uh, it turns out that it's extremely not so very cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, Tom. How was how was your weekend? Heard you went to the Bronx. It was nice. Yes, I went up to the Bronx. I was looking for the the Jake and John Boy talking Yanks billboard. Didn't find it. Instead, end up taking my my in laws to the Bronx Botanical Garden. Uh, the in laws are are big uh, plant people. They love flowers. <laughs> they have so many plants in their house, and so we. Uh, yeah, we went and checked them all out, walked around, and, and had a nice time up there. So, you know, again, doing doing the family thing for Mother's Day. That's that's just what we're doing. Do, were you actually looking for their billboard? No, no, I was. Uh, uh, I was, was going to say near they, Yankee Stadium. I think it was near Yankee Stadium. Um, they took it down. I'm not sure if it's actually. I didn't ask Jake, but they tweeted something about it because they had a poor start. And then after they took it down, the Yankees have been doing much better. So I don't know if that's why they took it down or if that was just the natural 
course of things. I'm I did not ask. realize that there was like a talking Yanks billboard jinx going on. I hadn't, I missed that, that discourse. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I only saw it briefly and I don't know if it's a joke or serious, but uh, that's a thing that happened. But going, getting back to your, your um, parents-in-law, um, have you guys, you said that they're plant people um, up oh, yeah. in West Hartford, which is close to where they are. Uh, there's a little, there's a park up there. Have you guys been there to Elizabeth mm-hmm. Park? Your, your brother actually got married right there. So I've not been to that. It's, it's like a garden or it's like a... Yeah, there's like a, a rose garden. That's okay. uh, just a very elaborate like setup. Well, that's closer than the Bronx, or at least easier to get to than the Bronx. So uh, that's that'll be the next trip. Yeah, because I, I mean, I don't know when the seasons line up for when the Rose Garden starts, but there's, um, I think there's all there's something there now that's not roses, but I don't know my flowers, so I couldn't tell you. But well, that's why we're, very, we're not talking yeah. flowers. Yeah, it's a very elaborate setup, so highly recommended <laughs> it. Elizabeth Park in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut, for anyone who's near there and interested in botanicals. Give us a shout. Yeah, maybe we can go together. A little Knicks fan garden visit. That's that's something that's something to do. Um, but like I said, we're not talking flowers. We're not talking gardens. We're talking Knicks. And Kenny, today we just watched the, the Knicks beat the Clippers. The Clippers with Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers with Paul George. And a Clippers team that is, you know, among the favorites, I think, to, to get to, to the finals out of the West potentially to even win. So that was just, it was really exciting. The Knicks kind of, I don't want to say they needed this one, but it was, it was a big win. It was a big win given the playoff picture, which we will get to, but I know you got a chance to watch a lot of this game. So, so what do you think? I mean, it's kind of been what the, the story of the season has been, has been the defense is really what, um, you know, was the biggest thing for me. Uh, they held the Clippers to, and I just had it in front of me, 100 points. Um, and they have, again, uh, yeah, internet is, is struggling, but um, they held some of the, the Clippers' bigger players to less than stellar shooting, which I would tell you if I was able to pull this up, but it's not pulling up. Um, and, you know, it wasn't Julius Randle's best game offensively, but he did hit two enormous clutch shots going ISO uh, towards the end of the game to – to kind of put a bow on it. Um, yeah, and Kenny, I've got some of those numbers just real quick um, to support what you're saying. I mean, Kawhi Leonard did finish with 29 points, but he was on 9 of 26 shooting. I mean, and, that, and so first of all, he hit 4 of 9 from 3, which is quite good. And, I mean, the, the fact that he was so abysmal from two-point range, from, from mid-range, from the paint, I mean, that is a, a huge feather in the cap of the Knicks defense. And then Paul George, their, their other uh, big name there, finished with only 18 points on 8 of 20 shooting and just 2 of 9 from 3. And, I mean, to back up what you're saying, Kenny, like the Knicks defense did look incredible. I think they did benefit from some kind of, you know, I hate to use the, the L word. They were a little lucky with, with the Clippers missing some, some open three-pointers, but that happens in the course of a game. Like, yes, the Clippers are the best shooting team in the league so far this year. Um, I, I want to say they're hitting as a team something like close to 40% from three. And in this one, they just shot 34%. So there was definitely some, a, a little bit of luck there, but I'm not going to attribute this win to that in any way, shape or form. The defense overall was just super strong and sound and they were connected and um, it, it was impressive. 
Yeah, and I think people have been saying that all season that the Knicks, you know, there's no reason for it, but they have been a stellar, you know, three-point defensive team. And I think um, maybe Zach Lowe or someone was talking about how, um, you know, how hard they rotate and how they challenge the shot. Um, And I think that might have a big impact on it because they challenge hard so much so that they usually end up, you know, jumping past the, the shooter, but then they have a guy rotating to it and they're able to recover from that. And I think, you know, that's a big thing and that might be, you know, contributing to it. But also the Clippers are score 114 points a game and today they scored a hundred. So holding them 14 points under their season's average, like that's incredible. And, and it wasn't just, you know, looking at the statistics and seeing, uh, what they did, they shot 43% from the the field, which, you know, it's okay. It's not great. And you'll certainly take that as a Knicks. Um, but watching them play, um, you know, hard defense and every, cause every shot that Kawhi Leonard was getting was, was a difficult shot. And, you know, same with Paul George, he, he wasn't getting a lot of easy looks and, you know, whether it was RJ Barrett or Julius Randle or, you know, Taj Gibson got his hands in on some help defense a few times, and it's and just Reggie Bullock, man. He was Ding up in crunch time on on Paul George for sure, making his life really uncomfortable, and that was just awesome to see. So, I mean, you're right because I guess there's a lot of discourse right now around like defensive player of the year with the awards season coming up, and the Knicks, though the team is in the top, you know, three, four uh, in defense in a lot of defensive categories you don't hear any of the Knicks players talked about for any of these all defensive teams or anything like that. And I mean, you don't think of the Knicks defense as being super top heavy in talent on that end, but it's just, they are, they move as one. Like they, they are just kind of like textbook of what you look for in team defense. They rotate perfectly. Like you said, they, they get out on shooters. They hustle so much. And you have to credit that to, to Thibodeau and, and the team just buying in to his scheme. Cause like not, not every coach can get their team to play that hard a defense every night. And it is just, it is just so evident when you watch like this team, like when, when they do make a mistake, they take it personally. It's, it's super awesome. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why the Knicks overachieved. And I know I've, I've said it in past years about teams like, you know, the Celtics and the Hawks back when they were, um, you know, way overachieving. It's the amount of effort that they put in because a lot of teams, you know, in the regular season, they're coasting a lot of the time. They're saving it up for the postseason. A lot of there's a lot more, you know, resting of players and things like that. But the Knicks are are putting in effort every single game. And that's part of the reason they're doing so well. And, you know, you've heard that from a lot of people. And I think Chris Paul said something about it after the, the latest Phoenix game. Uh, that they're just they're playing the game the right way and they're playing hard all the time and that's that's how you you know exceed expectations that quote for anyone who hasn't seen it from chris paul was i didn't expect that at all to hear that from him just because yeah particularly after um that game because there was a there was a play where taj gibson got a little bit undercut by chris paul some might say, and Taj Gibson did not take kindly to that and then just kind of went up to, to shove um, Chris Paul and it didn't, it wasn't done cleanly and it looked really bad because he ended up just kind of throwing an elbow in his direction. Yeah, and a, they were got going a in. Foul. Yeah. yeah. And they got I mean, a, he got a flagrant foul for that and it, you know, it, it wasn't a great look, but then after the game, kind of Chris Paul was very complimentary of the Knicks. So. That. Yeah, that's a great point to bring up because it did look dirty in real time just because they were going at a pretty good clip when they were running back down the court. And 
to your point, yes, like Chris Paul may have undercut him a little bit, but he was he was right in front of him and was as a small guy boxing out a big guy, that's kind of you get low and you box out. You know, Chris Paul does do some very borderline dirty stuff, and I don't know that that was one of them. So um, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt from a lot of fans, rightfully so. But I think in this case, it was, yeah, I, I don't know that Taj's response was really warranted. Um, and usually Taj is, is a vet, right? So it was surprising to see him react that way. But I'll say, I think, I mean, I think two things happened there. I don't, I don't, watching the play a few times, I don't think it was an intentional thing from um, Chris Paul. Cause if you're watching Chris Paul, like he's not looking behind him when um, Gibson comes in, but I don't think Gibson knows that. And I think, like you said, Chris Paul kind of ha- has a little bit of, and uh, just people perceive him as pushing the boundaries a lot. Um, and I don't think that Taj Gibson meant it to be as bad as it looked. I think he wanted to get up on the body and just kind of give him a good shove but he started it from too far away and they were going too fast. And it, yeah. I think it looked a lot worse than it was, you know, intended to be. So I think that's right. I think that was all taken into account given it was just a flagrant one and not a flagrant two. So, um, and then I just have the quote pulled up here. Chris Paul said after the game, this was such a good game for us. Remember last time we played them in New York, that team right there, man, they play the right way. They play with the right energy. They make every game feel like a playoff game. They don't take any possessions off. It's good for us to have games against a team like that. They make you build that trust. They make you beat them. I mean, that is some serious high praise coming from a guy whose opinion I think is really respected around the league. So that's just, uh, you know, that's the best thing you could hear in a loss. You know, that's, that's exactly what you want to hear from this team. And, and we see it every night. So it's not a surprise. It's just nice to hear it confirmed from a player of Chris Paul's caliber. Yeah, and I think going into the season, that was the biggest thing for us was to change the perception of the Knicks because, you know, after Fisdale and and last season and, you know, just had generally how bad the Knicks have been for the last, you know, 20 years, it, our whole goal was to change the perception and then maybe we'd be able to, you know, get someone good to come here. Like, we weren't expecting to be a good team. But now having the bonus of both being a playoff caliber team and changing the perception of the Knicks so much so that, you know, maybe maybe the next time there's a disgruntled free agent, they want to go to the Knicks, or maybe um, a, a disgruntled player on another team, they want to go to the Knicks, or, or if there's a, a free agent opening, maybe someone wants to go to the Knicks. But, you know, either way, winning games and having a good culture, is it's a good foundation. And Kenny, we've gone however many minutes talking about this Clippers game and things kind of adjacent to the Clippers game without mentioning Derrick Rose, which is kind of a probably a crime against podcasting. But I, I just have to say his stats. Like he, he finished the game at 25 points on 11 of 17 shooting, two of three from three. He had eight assists to just to four turnovers and six rebounds. And more than anything, like he came out in that first half when the Knicks desperately needed some, just an an offensive boost. And he provided that like he has consistently time after time, uh, you know, I mean, all, all season since we acquired him, certainly, but particularly of late. So what did you see from, from Derek Rose? Derek Rose is just on a, an incredible tear. Like I don't even know how to describe it because it feels like every night you're looking at his stats and he's going, you know, seven for 10, uh, 10 for 10 for 13, something like that. And so, you know, I pulled up the stats for the last 14 games, uh, which is a little bit cherry picked because I mean, I could go back one game further, but 
it would decrease the stats a little bit. Well, don't do that. Yeah, so I'm not going to, is my <laughs> point. But in the last 14 games, like his shooting percentage is 56.8% field goal percentage on 13.1 attempts per game and 48.6% from three on 2.6 attempts per game, 89.7% from the free throw line on 2.1 attempts per game. Like, those are ridiculous numbers. And, like, if he is scoring with that efficiency off the bench, like, I don't even – like, this – it's just – I I don't know what you do with that. Like, I don't know how – there's, like, not a superlative good enough to for how good he's shooting and how uh, – and, like, the difficulty of the shots that he's taking and, the like, how he's creating. And it's just – it's incredible. Yeah, I think that there's a few things there. And for one, like, his mid-range jump shooting, his, his teardrops, his floaters – you don't necessarily expect that to, to retain that the pace that or the, the rate that's going right now, just because he's hitting on a ridiculous percentage. I would be interested to compare his numbers right now from the mid range to even his MVP season. Um, Cause I think he's relying more on those versus getting to the rim. He still has those bursts of athleticism in spurts, but he's not as consistently just explosive like he was back in his younger days, as you'd expect. But he, every time he pulls up from mid range now or, or it, you know, from floater range, I'm expecting it to go in and kind of likewise from three. It's strange because he shoots this line drive three ball, but he's shooting it with such confidence. He's not really hesitating. It is, it's a pretty shocking turnaround from kind of Derek Rose. We all knew, but just the biggest thing for him is the team's identity when he's on the court. And there are a few parts to that. Part of it is yes, he is always replacing Alfred Payton, who is probably the most heavily derided player on the Knicks right now. But it's just Rose brings this attacking, aggressive mentality, whereas, you know, with Alfred Payton, it kind of feels like the Knicks offense reacts to the defense or, like, will take what the defense gives them, whereas Derrick Rose, like, takes what he wants. Like, he is so assertive. He gets into the paint. He finds guys. He gets easy buckets for teammates. He pushes in transition a little bit. Um, He does everything he can to kind of – you know, Mark, like, make his stamp on on the offense when he's in the game. And the whole team just changes when he's on the floor. And so I think we may have lost Kenny for now. He mentioned having some technical difficulties. So we will see when we get Kenny back. That will be a fun little surprise for the listeners. And, you know, in the meantime, I can just – I could keep going – on Derek Rose because he's been that good. Um, but I, I do want to dig a little bit more into the, the whole Alfred Payton, Derek Rose dynamic, because, you know, Payton in general has, he's had a rough season. There, there's no question about it. And you <laughs> fans like to kind of pick out the, the raw plus minus the single game plus minus and oftentimes you'll see that when Peyton's in the game, the Nick, he'll have a minus next to his name, right? Like the, the team usually is being outperformed when Alfred Peyton's on the floor, whereas Derrick Rose has had the most positive impact of nearly anybody on the team. So it's a uh, in general, like that debate is going to continue, especially as we get to the playoff into the playoff mix. But I see now that Kenny has returned. So Kenny, I just went on a long Derrick Rose tangent about his play and, and really about how he, how he kind of like imprints the game and stamps his brand of basketball and his style 
on the on the Knicks offense when he's in. Yeah, and I, I started speaking after that, but apparently my internet kicked out, so um, apologies. But what I was going to say is when I went off about his shooting numbers, I didn't even mention his other numbers. Um, and I don't know if you mentioned this while I was gone, but over the last, again, 14 games, he's averaging 4.7 assists and only 1.2 turnovers. And now he's playing 28.6 minutes in those that um, that time frame, and Alfred Payton is playing 18.4, so 10 minutes more than Alfred Payton. And Alfred Payton is averaging less assists and more turnovers. So going to your point, it just – when Derrick Rose is in the game, I just feel like the game, the team is just in much better hands. They're more confident. I'm less, you know, worried about something going wrong. It's just, you know, a safe set of hands to, to kind of help the Knicks forward. And I don't know if you have that same view when, when you're watching. Oh, I mean, totally. When you say safe set of hands, a few things come to mind there. Like he doesn't turn the ball over pretty much ever. I mean, I, I'm looking right now, he's in the 85th percentile in terms of his on off turnover percentage. So when he's on the floor, the Knicks turn over the ball as a team a lot less than when he's uh, on the bench. And the other thing is just part of that, the reason why he doesn't turn the ball over so much is his handle is just so tight. It, it's crazy. I, I forgot this about him. He he has a lot of different moves. You know what I mean? And it's just like, mm-hmm. as a Knicks fan, I don't feel like we've watched a lot of guys with a lot of moves off the dribble you know I mean yes you could point to Alfred Payton but even our number two RJ Barrett he is mostly just a physical specimen like he is driving into people and he's just kind of taking his little his shots mostly either through bodies or around them but he's not doing much as far as beating guys off the dribble yet I, I think that part of his game is still to come Julius Randle similarly it's just he's a bully or he's rising up and getting his mid-range off because he's getting to his spots he's not so much beating guys um kind of east to west and and juking them Derek Rose is a freak man like he is hitting people with in and outs crossovers behind the backs through the legs like his his handle is on that level I think I mean maybe it'd be blasphemous to say like Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving but that's kind of where my mind went yeah, and um, the the skill that I was about to talk about was also kind of reminds me of Kyrie is just his change of speed and change of direction is just so quick. He has such a quick first step that like you don't see it with any other players on the Knicks because like everyone else, like you said, uh, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett are straight line drivers, and like Emmanuel quickly is a little more crafty, but still he doesn't have that that like quick first step or that change of pace to just like blow by guys and. Derrick Rose, you see it, you know, two, three times a game where he's just, he's dribbling and then all of a sudden he's gone. And it's just something that, you know, I'm, I'm sure was a lot more prevalent when he was a, a younger player. But now that he's older, you kind of forget how quick he is. And, you know, in his first stint with the Knicks, you saw a little bit of that, but I don't think he was nearly as efficient in scoring the basketball. And so it's just, you know, I think now that he has the confidence and he's with Tibbs and he's in a comfortable situation, you're seeing a lot stronger play. And it's just, you know, it's fun to watch is what it is. And so I think kind of logical next step here is going to be more around the future and like the future being the playoff picture. Like will Derek Rose be playing more minutes? 
I mean, he clearly deserves more minutes. Will his body, you know, hold up through those? Is there a reason why he's only, you know, kind of playing more more limited minutes? Or is it just because Alfred Payton has been the starter, the Knicks are have been successful with that model, and so Tibbs is sticking with it? Um, I don't know, like – the number I'm seeing right now, the Knicks are 12.3 points per 100 possessions better with Derrick Rose on the floor. It's in the 97th percentile in the entire league. That is just incredible how much better the team is with Rose on the court. So, you know, when it comes to playoff time and the, and the Knicks are playing against very good teams, we can't afford to be going down these, these deep deficits to start games. And the Knicks were down 10 to nothing to start this, this game against the Clippers. There have been plenty of other instances where we've gotten out to slow starts as well. So um, what do you think, Kenny? Do you think that the rotations are going to have to change come playoff time? And, I mean, I think part of the thing is the rotation already has changed a little bit. I know Alfred Payton is starting games, and like you said, they have been getting out to some cold starts lately. But the last seven games, which is the time since we, we last potted, Alfred Payton is only doing 17 minutes a game, when, whereas uh, Derrick Rose is at just under 30. Um, now, currently with, with Burks and Emmanuel Quickly out, it's a little more questionable and because um, you know, those are presumably the next guys in line to play the point guard. I know um, Alec Burks isn't traditionally a point guard, but there was a while where he was the fourth quarter point guard before – uh, you know, he went down for the COVID protocols and, and Derek Rose kind of really stepped up and became cemented himself in that spot. Um, but I think um, currently, I don't think that Tibbs wants to to shake the boat. So I think Peyton is going to continue starting throughout the season. Um, you might see his minutes diminish further, but I think once we get to the postseason, it's really, it's a whole different animal and it's going to be, um, you know, highly matchup specific. And I've seen people suggest that, you know, maybe that's when Alfred Payton's minutes start to decrease intensely. And depending on the situation, people are suggesting maybe you see, you know, a Frank Nilakina come in to just for defensive purposes and you stick with, you know, Burks, Payton and, and Emmanuel quickly playing uh, more of the point guard role. But, you know, it, it all depends on matchups and, you know, maybe we see that, maybe we don't, but I think, for for the rest of the regular season, which is only four games, I expect Alfred Payton to finish out the season. And I think that's right. But even given Alfred Payton's decreased minutes, I'm part of the issue with that is it comes at the beginning of the first quarter and the beginning of the third quarter, and that's when you're playing against the opponent opponent's starting lineup. So like you're going against the the best talent from the other team, and that's part of the reason why the the Knicks are kind of digging these holes for themselves at those at those junctures so it will be very interesting to see how the lineups change come playoff time i i think you know i I have a hard time talking about frank right now Uh, full disclosure i didn't get a chance to watch the full game today but i am very aware of of kind of how frank struggled in his limited minutes today Um, i think there were multiple air balls and just in general I've, i've watched you know the last few games he's really struggled offensively and that's kind of what the knock has been on him his whole career is, is when he loses that confidence, he doesn't, he's not able to produce offensively. And the Knicks are in a position where how much do they need his defense? He, the, the Knicks defense has been among the best in the league, largely without him in the rotation. So it's like, how much is he, how much value is he really bringing? Um, it would, it would be pretty surprising to me if Frank ended up cracking the rotation in the playoffs to me, I think, 
the answer is going to be Alec Burke, more minutes of Alec Burks at the point guard, kind of like we saw during that stretch um, when he was kind of like our go-to crunch time lead ball handler kind of at the beginning of that uh, win streak. So I could see Burks getting more minutes at the point and hopefully Alfred Payton's minutes really decreasing even further. Yeah, and I think the like I said, it's going to be very situational. I, you know, there's a situation where Frank doesn't crack the rotation at all. But I think um, the Trey Young situation, if there's a game where Trey Young is absolutely going off, that that's that might be the situation where Frank gets thrown out there. But like you said, um, his offensive struggles are well documented. But um, you know, it, it's a question of. Are you comfortable with Alec Burks out there at point guard? I think you're you're more comfortable with um, with Emmanuel Quickly and and Derek Rose out there. Um, and you know where do you rank between having Alfred Payton get those minutes or Frank Nelikina get those minutes? And I don't know the answer to that at this point. Yeah. So so looking forward to the the rest of the season here. Um, I mean, just just look at the West Coast road trip first of all. Um, the, the Knicks have now gone three and two through five games of this West Coast road trip. There's one more left against the Lakers, who have been pretty beaten up. Um, that game will come on Tuesday. I mean, I don't know, Kenny. We're either looking at a road trip here where, you know, they had six straight road games against some, uh, some really tough competition on the West Coast. They're either going to come out four and two or three and three. Had I told you that before – the road trip began. I mean, wouldn't you have been happy with kind of either one of those? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, and I think that might've even been what we said within the text message group that we have. I think before, um, before they had that, whatever, uh, 12 game win streak, no, nine game win streak. Was it? Um, we said that they needed to do really well in those 13 or 14 games and they ended up going, I think 12 and one or 13 and one. And then, I think what our goal was to split the the road trip because of the just how how difficult they projected to be. So um, that's a good situation. Obviously, right now situation is a little different. We beat the Clippers, um, and now the Lakers are banged up. So I think we want to get that win, and we'd like to close out four and two on the road trip. And then, you know, the not that we have easy games coming up, but certainly easier than the the Phoenix Nuggets, Clippers, Lakers uh, four games in a row. And uh, one of those big games is a big game against Boston, who is, um, you know, chasing us in the standings. Yeah, and I don't have, like, the whole scenarios all worked out yet. Um, like, I know you've posed a couple of questions to our, to our chat, like, who are we rooting for in some of these games, uh, those Heat-Celtics games? Like, that, I mean, who do we even want to see in a, in a matchup? I, we've talked about this before, and I'm wondering if anything has even changed at this point. But, I mean, a lot of Knicks fans are just kind of rooting to to not play in that play-in game, you know, to stay out in the top six. And I think at this point, like, the odds of that must be pretty strong. Um, and I think the 4-5 matchup is something that we can really be – you know, hopeful for at this point. And I guess I, I'm wondering, like, at this, the Hawks and the Heat are tied. Uh, I think I believe the Hawks are the tiebreaker there. And then the, the Celtics are two games back. So, I don't know. It, it may be a little late for the Celtics to make a run. But, but again, we're going to play the Celtics with the last game of the season. So, that could end up being a huge game. Um, we will see. But I don't know, Kenny. Is there 
have have your views changed at all? Or are you is there a specific team that you want to see in the playoffs? I mean, I I still think that the Hawks are my my preferred team. I know that they're they're currently fifth, and the Celtics are uh, seventh and sixth. But like we've said on previous podcasts, they just have the Heat and the Celtics have been there. I think the Heat are in particular uh, playing a lot better of late. Um, the Celtics are a little banged up, so I think you know that might change the equation a little bit. Um, but you know, there's just so many scenarios, and you know, the the question on Twitter is what what do we want do we are we obviously the goal is for the four five game but um when i asked people whether they wanted the heat or the celtics to win because the heat and the celtics are playing each other they played each other today and then they they also play uh their next game against each other um and you know going into today the celtics were one game uh back of the heat and now they're two games back of the heat or they were one game back of yes yeah now they're they're um three games back of the knicks so the question is, you know, the Heat have two, two more very difficult games against the 76ers in Milwaukee. The Celtics have a game against us and then, you know, two easier games against Minnesota and the Cavs. The Hawks, I believe, have the easiest schedule left um, in the NBA. So, you know, who we were rooting for on that Heat-Celtics game, people were saying it depends on whether you won the 4-5 game or if you're just trying to avoid uh, the 7-seed. Seven, the seven and if you you wanted the the Heat to win both games, that their suggestion was that meant you were going for the uh, you just wanted to avoid the seven seed. Whereas if you wanted the Celtics, because we because the Heat are only a game back of us and they have the tiebreaker, um, I didn't independently mm. verify this, but I assume that that's the case. Yeah, um, people are saying that you know they prefer the Celtics win those games, or at least a split. Um, but I don't know. You know, at this point, I'm desperate to avoid the the seven seed and i'd prefer to to win um you know to have a, a full playoff series for the knicks to to play out because you know one game two games anything can happen i think that over the course of the series the knicks have proved that you know they're a solid team and they can give a they can give you know any team a shot um but that's you know kind of a lot of babbling and i don't know if you if you got anything out of that but uh, yeah no there's a I lot mean, of things going on i'm with you where i think the heat are kind of starting to click uh, they look pretty scary right now. I, I kind of want nothing to do with them. The Celtics, uh, not as much. I think, um, you know, we have the the defenders to put up against. Like the, the Celtics, just to me, don't have the really the depth and the offensive continuity um, to really scare me. Like, I don't think they really have the the, the knockdown shooters outside of Tatum and I think Brown's been shooting the ball well but you know even Tatum's not running off screens kind of like uh Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson will you know and those are the kind of guys who can bust defensive schemes real quickly um the Celtics kind of play more of a from what I understand from what I've seen kind of more of an iso heavy um dump it to your to your best players kind of like the, what the Knicks do on offense but I just think that's easier to defend especially easier for the Knicks to defend having less of that top end defensive talent so I don't know I'm kind of more uh, the more I think about it the more the Celtics look like an appealing matchup to me but um you know I'm not gonna have any qualms with the Hawks I just think the the Heat are kind of the team I'm looking to, to steer clear of at this point and I think you know it seems pretty unlikely that um because like i said the hawks have the easiest schedule coming up so presumably they 
can finish in that fourth, fifth range. So if we're in that fourth, fifth range, we're playing them. Otherwise, if we drop into the the six, seven range, we're pl- probably playing the one of the top seeds or the play-in game. Um, so that, I mean, I, d- I don't know that there's a, a likelihood of us playing either of those teams, um, but certainly I'd, I'm not opposed to playing Atlanta. And we have, again, we have the um, tiebreaker against Atlanta. We swept them uh, in three games this year. And they have, so if we're one game up on them with four to go. So if we go three and one, then we are guaranteed to, well, I guess Miami still factors in. If yeah. Miami loses one more game, but. Um, it's, a, it's a moving, a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. So, sorry, I'm trying to. Yeah, it makes for bad radio, but I'm trying to figure this out like by talking it out. But ignoring the Miami piece, if the Knicks go four and one, they control their own or three and one, they control their own destiny, and that's something that they could possibly do. Because, like I said, they have the Lakers, uh, they have the Spurs, who are you know have been middling this season. Charlotte, who has you know they're just getting some guys back, but they haven't been great. And then Boston, who you know we've just said it, they've been you know okay. They've been struggling lately. They have some injuries. So the Knicks have four winnable games and, you know, the, an opportunity to potentially, you know, cinch up a, a four or five seed in those games. Just incredible. It's, it is just so shocking. I'm almost speechless about that, but here we are. It's happening. It's a reality. Amazing. So, all right, let's, let's transition. Now. I want to just see if there's anybody – who you want to give a shout out to who we ha- we haven't talked about or have talked about less. Um, I mean, I want to like exclude Julius Randall here. I, I, again, we probably should have brought this up at the top. Julius Randall was huge down the stretch of that Clippers game today. Like he's continued to just shoulder such a burden on offense. Like you said, it wasn't his most efficient game of the season. He was, he only had 14 points to go along with 14 boards and five assists, but like NES, he was just seven and nine from the field and 0 of four from three. So not a good shooting night, but still, you know, the Knicks had the confidence to go to him in crunch time and he produced, he hit two or three big mid range jumpers to, to help seal this game. And so all that is to say, I don't want to like, I think Julius Randall has gotten a lot of the shine. We talked last week about or last pod about how he was, easily a top 10 MVP candidate in our eyes. And so um, is there anyone else that you think deserves a shout out here that we haven't talked so much about? And I know we talked about him on the last pod, so I don't know if this is going to bug you at all, but and man, Reggie Bullock has been such a big part of this team. And I think, you know, he's played exceptional defense uh, guarding typically the best uh, perimeter player on the other team. But his shooting is just something that we needed so badly last year that we didn't have. Um, he has now gone 21 straight games with two or more threes made, which is incredible. Um, and it seems like it seems like every like he's just hit so many big shots this year, and he's like a three is just such a big. It, it's three points. It's it's 50 percent more points than a two. I know Tom gets mad when we play pickup all due to the the point differential. <laughs> Um, but it's just, it's, it can't be underestimated how important threes are and his ability to, in each of these, each of the last 21 games contribute two or more threes is just, 
it's such a big thing for creating space, creating points, um, creating options for, for Julius Randle to, to drive and dish. It's just such a, such a big weapon and such a big part of this team and, and its success. And it also creates kind of good habits, right? When, when you're an offensive player who is rewarded for driving and dishing with that kind of frequency, like when you have that much confidence in your teammate, it's going to make you want to, to do that again. It reinforces those good habits. I'm just thinking specifically of R.J. Barrett, who had a really nice drive today and was actively looking for Reggie Bullock in the corner. And Bullock knocked it down. And that's not all Bullock does. That's the thing. Is like last year we were begging for anyone who could just stand still and hit a three-pointer when they were open. That could like stretch defenses that way. Reggie Bullock has advanced so far beyond that. He is the opposite of a standstill three-point shooter. This dude is running all around screens. He is bending defenses like crazy. Defenses are actively looking to see where he's going, and he's catching and shooting on the move. It's, it's you know, we've talked about guys like J.J. Redick doing that. I just mentioned Duncan Robinson and how Tyler Hero has used that sometimes that way to, a less, to, to less success, but certainly Duncan Robinson. I mean, those guys are invaluable for, for offenses, and we have one. <laughs> like, it is, it is just incredible to see and we're deploying Reggie Bullock in a, in a really good way too so we're, he's being well utilized and he's producing he was 5 of 12 on three-pointers today against the Clippers had 24 points and was just huge uh, you know every time it seemed like every time the Knicks needed a bucket like Reggie Bullock is just so consistent and he's that that outlet that we rely on whether it is Randall drawing two and kicking it to him that's the more common thing but also Derek Rose who likes to get into the paint RJ Barrett is starting to do the same so um yeah you're, you're right to, to give props to Bullock on this one yeah and you know like I was saying just three-point shooting is so important in today's NBA and I know going back to the 2013 team that had the the three to the head like that that was their point they said you know it's like a boxing match like a three-pointer is like a shot to the head just because it's so you know it's three points and that's that's a big that's a big uh, those are big buckets that he's getting. And like you said about um, talking about a potential heat matchup, those are the kind of guys who can destroy your game plan if if you lose sight of them. And then because you're paying attention to them, you're going to lose sight of someone else. And it just creates so many opportunities. And it's been such a, a big part of this team. Yeah, and I think so. The guy I wanted to to shout out here is he's playing fewer minutes than a guy like Reggie Bullock, who is no question just a crucial part of our, of our rotation. But I want to shout out Obi Toppin because Toppin, that, that was going to be my other one. If, if you went first and took Reggie Bullock, I mean, and for good reason, right? Like Toppin is a guy who we gave a hard time to uh, early on in the season. And, you know, part of that is probably unfair given he's a rookie adjusting to a new league with limited training camp and all of that. Like that's a tough position. Not only that, but he's playing behind a guy having a career year who we've established is in, he's certainly in the all NBA conversation and potentially even in the MVP, um, you know, voting conversation. Um, Toppin looked lost to begin the season not so much on defense where at times he actually looked okay and always had the right effort, but offensively 
he was just standing on the perimeter. He was airballing tons of corner threes. Um, he was, he looked rushed whenever he'd try and get to his shots at, in, uh, inside the arc. It just, it was not pretty. And lately, you know, the stats, they're not crazy. I'm looking at the last, I'm just looking at the last seven games because those are the number of games that um, have ha- happened since our last podcast. And just looking at the last seven games, he's averaging five points, you know, two and a half boards. It, it's, those are not super impressive numbers, but just to watch him play, he is consistently doing the right thing. Like he's, he's making plays on defense. He is, he's, just he's kind of turned a corner on offense he's shooting with more confidence yes but he's also like he's running the floor more his teammates are finding him his teammates are trusting him to hit him on lobs Taj Gibson had a really nice lob to him today after a nice cut um yes or the last game against Phoenix he got switched on to Chris Paul in isolation and I I was just simply stunned. He kept up with Chris Paul. He moved laterally. He blocked his shot and then ran the floor and got a dunk. And it was pretty much the opposite of what I expected to happen in that play. So um, overall, the fact that Obi Toppin has been playing so well, his minutes have ticked up a bit. And it's allowed for Julius Randle to have more time on the bench, which, you know, it's so nice that when Randall comes out that we don't feel like we have to force him to get back in that Randall doesn't have to play 40 minutes every night because we're so worried about what the product is going to look like when he's off the floor. Obi Toppin is playing so well that, you know, it it allows Randall to get those rests so that he's fresher come crunch time. Yeah. And I know we've, we've touched on it in previous uh, episodes, but, the Knicks were certainly not doing Obi Toppin any favors. Um, it was, I think Greg compared it to what the Oklahoma City Thunder did with DeMontis Sabonis, where they just had him parked at the three-point line shooting threes. And, like, Obi, po- Obi Toppin, like, based on his college career, that was something that he could potentially do was be a stretch four guy. But that is not his game. And it seems like they have kind of figured that out. He's, he's launching a lot less threes than I, I feel like he was previously. Uh, and like you said, it, it just seems like based on the eye test, if nothing else, he looks much more confident out there. And like he's he's playing more of his game. He's getting, you know, into the paint. He's getting uh, more rebounds and a lot more dunks, which, you know, that's what people were excited for. And, you know, I don't think that's something that can be kind of like dismissed too easily, because once we get to the playoffs, if we're in a home game and I know, you know, capacity is increasing for for New York sports teams. Uh, relatively soon and if he's getting he's getting easy dunks and he's getting alley-oops and he's finishing these things that's going to hype the crowd up and that could be a game changer yeah so like he brings so much energy and that's that's energy on the floor he's like tipping passes he's he's getting in the lanes he's tipping rebounds to himself he's he's all over the place and you know before I think there was some tentativeness to his game where he just wasn't sure what to do and now he's just kind of playing more within himself and he's just He's playing all out. Like if he's going to make a mistake, it's because he's playing too hard. And there have been rookies in the past where, I mean, I, I'm talking specifically about Kevin Knox, where that's never been an issue for him. He's not going to make a mistake because he's trying too hard or it's, it certainly doesn't look like he's trying too hard. Like Obi Toppin, his motor is there, his energy is up, and that's going to get the crowd into it once there's more fans, like you said, and just his teammates too. Like people love a big finish. Obi Toppin can provide that. And his, 
like I said, his teammates are actually looking for him now. Whereas before it seemed like they were kind of skeptical, like, I don't know what's going to happen. If I pass this guy the ball, he's liable to just like miss everything on a shot. But now it seems like there's more confidence in him. And again, I don't have any stats to back this up, but it just seems to me that um, over the last few weeks, uh, I know you've been pushing for the Knicks to get into more transitions since the beginning of the season. And it seems like every time that, you know, there's a shot that goes up and the rebounds goes in the other opposite direction, he is booking it to the under, other end of the floor. And we see people hitting him. You know, we saw that, that ridiculous Derrick Rose pass earlier in the season. And uh, we saw the, the play that you're talking about where he, he gets the Chris Paul block and then uh, books it down to the other end of the floor, gets the pass and, and gets a dunk. So um, I think he that effort is leading to transition points and it's leading to, you know, easier buckets for the Knicks. And that's, again, that's something that helps the Knicks that, that he can provide. I think that's all right. And Kenny, I will say the one last thing we should point out is that RJ Barrett is officially hitting over 40% of his threes on over four attempts per game. I mean, that's just, it, it was unthinkable last season you know, it, it is unthinkable four games into this season when it was on an over <laughs> 18 shooting streak. Yeah. I mean, he started that first game against the Pacers on fire and you know, there was never a thought that like this would continue. Everyone kind of knew it was just a hot shooting game and we were pumped that he'd had a hot shooting game that he was capable of it, but there was no possible thought that he was going to continue that. The fact that he is now over 40% on this kind of volume and granted I would say like earlier in the season, a lot of these were, were probably open catch and shoot threes. I think that he had to earn the respect from defenses. And I think he's done exactly that. He's not just being left alone for threes anymore. He's, he's not necessarily hitting so many off the dribble threes. I think he's only had like four this season. Um, he had two in back-to-back games during this last stretch, which was exciting to see. But, you know, I think that's going to be a part of his game to develop here in the future. He had a game, uh, a shot against the Suns where – he relocated like at the very last second. So he was basically just moving very quickly to his right and backwards to hit a three in the corner. Um, but it was just a like, very impressive footwork. That's all to say that the types of threes he's hitting now are contested. Defenses are aware of him as a shooter and he's still making them. There was a, there was a three against the Clippers today. I'm looking at the clip right now. It was with 5:30 left in the fourth quarter. Nick's up by six and it looks like the, the Clippers kind of got a little confused on defense. They thought maybe they were still in a zone. DeMarcus Cousins didn't know he, who he was supposed to be guarding, or maybe Nick Batum missed the assignment. Either way, R.J. Barrett's standing on the wing, just clapping his hands like crazy because he wants that ball. Like, just the confidence of this guy. Like, it, it's unbelievable. It's just staggering. He's clapping his hands like a maniac. Meanwhile, the entire Clippers – coaching staff is behind him all pointing frantically and clapping their hands being like get out to this guy just the fact that that rj barrett can strike this kind of fear and like cause this pandemonium on the opposing sidelines because he's open from three is is such a drastic change from last season and uh you'll love to see it needless to say he knocked down the three demarcus cousins was a step late and rj just no hesitation nailed it in his eye to put the Knicks up by nine with about five minutes left. So, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And I know you, you love it. Uh, you're a shooter yourself. So I don't know what you have any words on RJ Barrett. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, like, based on that that uh, play that you were describing, that was when I was playing many years ago, that was my favorite thing. When you were open on the three-point line and the opposing team was yelling shooter because they knew that they messed up. And <laughs> that – I loved that, and I'm sure R.J. Barrett loved it too, and it's just such a confidence boost. Um, and just kind of kind of one step beyond R.J. Barrett, I think it's it's worth mentioning that we've – the Knicks have been sorely, sorely needing three-point shooting for years now, and I think it's something that we've complained about a lot in the past. And currently, um, looking at the stats for the season, they have one, two, three, four, five guys who are shooting over four, four three-point attempts per game and averaging 39.7% shooting or better. And then if you throw Derek Rose in, who's only averaging 2.6, that's another guy shooting over 40%. So... They have Emmanuel Quickly shooting 4.8 attempts per game at 39.7%. R.J. Barrett, 4.2 at 40.3%. Alec Burks, 4.8 at 40.5%. Reggie Bullock at 6.0, shooting 40.9%. Julius Randle, 5.4 at 41.3%. And then Derek Rose at 2.6 shots a game at 41.7%. And that's just ridiculous. And I I mean, I'm looking at the, the rankings right now. I'm cleaning the glass, which gets rid of the... Um, garbage time and it gets rid of last second heaves and the Knicks as a team I have to like double check this it says they're shooting 39.4% on threes as a team and that's fourth in the league I mean Um, I'm gonna tell you looking at the stats what I just listed out those are most of their shooters so I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was true I mean they all they also have, you know, Frank hasn't played much, but he's shooting 44.2%. And Kevin Knox hasn't played much, but he's shooting 39.3% per, sh- per game. So then, like, the only other people who really have shot threes this season, um, Rivers isn't really on the team. He shot okay. Uh, Obi Toppin missed a lot, and Alfred Payton has missed a decent amount. But, like, those are the only guy- other guys who have sh- shot a fair amount of threes. So I believe that's that, that they are fourth in three-point shooting percentage. That is just wild. And uh, we wouldn't have guessed that coming into the season. Like we, Derek Rose wasn't on the team, but even if he was, we wouldn't have thought he would sniff 40%. Julius Randle, who shot under 30% last year, certainly not. Um, I'm RJ Barrett, another guy, definitely not. Like quickly we would have hopes for Burks. We'd have hopes for in Bullock, but like to see all of them shooting this well, like it, I think it says something to, to the offensive schemes and, you know, Thibodeau isn't known for that, but it, they seem to be getting, you know, the right looks because all of these guys are, are just having phenomenal year shooting the ball. And you look at the three teams that are above the Knicks in three-point shooting this year. It's the Clippers, who have so much star power, the Brooklyn Nets, likewise, and the Utah Jazz, who, I mean, are having an incredible season and, uh, I mean, they have guys like Joe Ingles who doesn't miss or, or Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, like guys who are shooting the ball really well. So the, those are the only three teams shooting the ball better from three than New York. It's, it's unbelievable. And so, um, yeah, Kenny, any, anything else you want to you wanna add? I know we're, we're kind of getting to time here. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think we got, what, four games coming up? Do we want to uh, – I'm just going to predict all wins for the rest of the season, so – uh, the Knicks are, are playing well. I know they had had two two tough losses, but you know, I'm, at this point, I'm I'm rooting for for them to finish out the season, and that's what I'm going to predict. 
So if you were to, if there's one game that you think that they're most likely to lose, which one do you think it is? It's at the Lakers, and then they have three at home to end. It's the Spurs, the Hornets, and the Celtics. Which one do you think, which one do you have circled as kind of the one you're most worried about? I mean, the the Lakers are just such a question mark because they have injuries. They don't know who's going to play. Like, LeBron James might be coming back for that game. He might not. If he comes back, you don't know, like, how how uh, well he's going to play because, you know, he said he might never be the same 100% healthy again, which was a weird thing to say. But yes, um, <laughs> that's, that's when I'd, I'd have, you know, just because of all of the – the question marks, like, I don't know. And then I know that they're not having the seasons that they've had historically, but I'm always, I always have worries about San Antonio. I think that they're another team that always, you know, plays hard and, and, you know, they have the, the capability to, to come out and, and uh, get a W, but certainly, you know, I'm not looking past anyone, but I'm, I'm hoping that we, we can finish out this season strong in a strong, you know, four Oh, way to to clinch that four seed yeah i think i think you're right that the, i mean the lakers being the last game of this road trip that's just a long time to be away from home and uh it, it's a lot of a lot of games so i could see that that lakers game for sure um and then just the fact that the that the celtics game is on the second day of a back-to-back we don't even know the times of those games yet those i don't think the times of those have been announced yet um, yeah i think there it's going to depend on the what the standings are at the end of the season. Like that Boston Knicks game could be a huge game or it could mean absolutely nothing. True. So yeah, I guess they'll wait to see who they, who gets prime time, but either way that Celtics game being the day after the Hornets game, that's, that's asking a lot. So, you know, this is no cakewalk of a week coming up ahead. It's going to be very fun, very entertaining to watch. Um, I, I can't wait. This is this is super exciting, man. This is the last podcast we're gonna, we're going to do during the regular season. Next time we pod will be, it'll be post season. <laughs> hmm. First ever in the history of talking Knicks, the first ever post season podcast. <laughs> hey, man, this is what a dream! What a dream! Um, so we'll definitely be watching a lot of Knicks basketball this week but can you just real quickly before we wrap here it has what else has been on for you what else are you watching uh i i told you guys in the chat um i accidentally watched most of the good place again and you know I've, I've, i watched the good place when it was on originally and i think i've watched it watched it again uh at the beginning of quarantine uh it's just such a good show um i put it on as a palate cleanser as we call it after watching something a little more serious to you know, lighten the mood before I go to bed. Um, and that was like a week ago. And now I'm on the final season and I'm just kind of cruising. And it's just, it's such a good show. And it's just so, you know, there's a lot of clever in it. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's meaningful stuff in there in such a, a well thought out way that, you know, I, even though I've seen it twice before, like I'm catching new stuff and it's all it's all gold, man. It's all gold. And I know you were a, a big fan of it, of that show as well. Um, but just to anyone who hasn't seen it, I highly recommend it. I think it's on, I'm watching it on Netflix. So it's out there. Yeah. It is so layered and just, it, it's so funny. Like you said, you will catch new stuff every time you watch it. Um, 
they went so hard with, you know, with their puns and the, the names of the stores and just a lot of that kind of surface level stuff. But a lot of it's just in the background too. Like they just spared no detail in that show. It is very impressive. And yeah, I, I love it. I, I am due for a rewatch myself. Yeah. Um, watching it again, like I said, you notice things and there's just, uh, I think watching it in such a quick succession that there's, there's a lot of callbacks that I didn't really catch the last time. Like they'll, they'll mention stuff that was mentioned in like a one episode and previous seasons and stuff like that. And it's like, Oh, that was, that was kind of clever. And then, you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, like each season is just kind of a very different thing going on. It's the same cast of characters. It's the same like big picture stuff, but the, like what is going on is just so different um, that it's just, you know, it, it's amazing that they were able to kind of keep such a high level in such different scenarios. It's a, it's a smart show, man. And uh, so you uh, had, you been watching kind of, you said you were watching it almost as a palate cleanser. What was the more serious thing? What was uh, that like a more serious show? There was a more serious show. I can't even um, remember what it is at this point. It didn't um, click for you. Yeah. It, it might've been a movie. Um, but I, I don't, I honestly just don't remember at this point. Um, no worries. I've just been so deep into that and, you know, still watching new girl. Um, still watching, watching uh um superstore so like those ones are still going on but this one was just you know i threw it out in the background um to just just have going on and it kind of overtook everything else and i've been watching it ever since what about you tom what's what's what you watching at the the piccolo household i mean talk about heavy stuff um my wife rose really enjoys the handmaid's tale um, I would say that the first couple seasons of it were really brilliantly done. I mean, just well acted and, and, you know, the, the story is really compelling, um, though oftentimes hard to watch. And I just think it's kind of turned into this thing that is, I almost dread watching now. It's just, it's kind of gone over the, the threshold to just too dark or like there, there used to be this silver lining and kind of hope or maybe a potential light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's kind of been snuffed out at this point. And it's just, you're watching people be miserable and get tortured and it's very harrowing. And um, yeah, talk about needing a palate cleanser after a show handmaid's tale. It was never, it was always dark, but it has just gotten to a point where it's like, I don't know that I want to continue we are four episodes in. Um, I think there have only been five released so far this season. So we're going to start watching it kind of when it's released. She wants to keep going with it, so I'm going to. But it is, it is tough. It's a tough watch. I will say, Tom, that I have heard that from multiple people. Uh, my girlfriend is a Handmaid's Tale person. Uh, I was briefly because um, it was one of the shows that my girlfriend and I watched together. And then one night she just watched like three seasons without me. So then I gave up on it, but she has said similar things. Uh, my parents, Handmaid's Tale people, uh, they both said that this season was not for them uh, thus far. And then I think one of my, my girlfriend's friends said the same thing. So you are the fourth person, I guess fifth as you got my parents as two different people because they are. <laughs> um, that has happy, said, happy Mother's Day indeed. Yeah, Happy you're, Mother's Day. You're your own person. Um, so yeah, you are not the first person to say that. And I'm sure, um, our listeners, if they, 
if there's interaction between the, the talking Knicks people and the Handmaid's Tale people, uh, let us know if you have the same opinion. <laughs> All right, Kenny. Well, I think I think we did a good job here with uh, with the Knicks stuff, but also the other stuff. So hey, I uh, I will say if you're listening to this, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, go ahead and leave us five star rating, leave a little review. That helps. It helps the algorithm. I know Jake's always talking about baking the algorithm. Maybe we should try and do that with talking Knicks too. We should get more of that stuff. Um, follow us on Twitter at talking Knicks. Uh, Kenny, you do a great job with those, with those videos for the games. I, you know, I try and put out some videos on my own Twitter feed and oftentimes I will see that you will have already put out a video as I'm clipping it. You're quicker than me on it. So, uh, it's all about it, speed, Tom. It is. So good work on that. Um, you can follow me at Tom underscore Piccolo on Twitter as well. If that's what you'd like to do, I'd like for you to do it. So uh, again, thank you all for listening. We, uh, we cannot wait for the next, for next week's podcast when we are in the post season. Um, but Hey, until then let's go Knicks. Next tight.